1: Hello everybody, Carlos Torek here of Fightful.com, FightfulBoxing.com. It's time for the Fightful Boxing Podcast. For those of you who aren't aware and may not have seen my messages on Twitter, I'm doing these podcasts now pre-recorded, bit of a... Uh, issues with my laptop and power outages over here in Puerto Rico, so for now on, at least for the time being, the podcasts are going to be audio only, but they will now be pre-recorded and weekly instead of every two or three weeks or whenever there's a big fight and I'm doing a post-show, now it's going to be every week, hopefully that gives me a little more time to you know get more guests like the one that I have today. Ladies and gentlemen, back on the Fightful Boxing Podcast, the one and only Fightful extraordinaire, Joe Holberg. Joe, how are, are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm happy to be back on.
2: It's, it's a big moment, right? A returning guest? <laughs> yep. Returning guest, it's a big moment. Big
1: moment. Yep, you are, I believe, the first ever returning guest on this That's incarnation big. of the Fightful Boxing Podcast. That's big. That's big. <laughs> But yeah, I wanted to get you on this show because there is a lot to discuss in terms of British boxing. I mean, the last—I mean, hell, since the last time you were here, so much has changed in British boxing. <laughs> it, <sure has. laughs> it feels like it's a completely it sure different world. Yeah,
2: it feels that like way right here too, man. It feels that like way right here too.
1: Yeah, I mean, we, we have now what I presume to be now the the big star in British boxing, Tyson Fury, taking on Tom Schwartz this Saturday. Uh, well, I suppose Saturday here in the U.S., or very early Sunday over there in the U.K. And this is a very, very interesting fight because of the way the last two weeks have sort of transpired. For those of you who have been literally living under a rock, Anthony Joshua... Unified, or I guess now, former Unified Heavyweight World Champion, lost his titles in dominant fashion to Andy Ruiz Jr. Yes, the guy that everyone, including Stephen A. Smith, or at least over here in the States, have been calling him all kinds of offensive and very, you know... You know, very not apropos names. You know, comparing it to Butterbee and all that kind of stuff. But basically, yeah, Andy Ruiz shocked the world. Beat Anthony Joshua. I did an entire hour post-show, which you can see on Fightful MMA and Boxing's YouTube channel. But yeah, it's been it's been real crazy. Before we get into the Tyson Fury fight, I want to get your thoughts on basically how everyone in the UK. <sighs> Has been reacting towards the Tyson uh, th- towards the Anthony Joshua loss because over here in the states it's been very very mixed with some saying, well, I mean Andy Ruiz has always been a tough customer for you know those that actually know their boxing and those you know like Stephen A. Smith just like to keep piling on Andy Ruiz because of his physique. It's been very very mixed. I'm curious, what's the reception over there in the UK? Um, it's very. Been- I mean, I, think
2: we need to, I still think that, as a whole, the boxing world is looking for a middle ground with this fight, right? Because, like, me and you, we both know Andrees is a tough guy, a legit contender. So, it's not that we thought Andrees was bad, but we've also got to find a middle ground between acting like we weren't surprised. I mean, we were all surprised, right? Like, none of us thought. I mean, it's one thing for Andrees to beat Joshua, but to floor him four times like, and just run him out of the ring is a different matter altogether, right? So, I think the reaction is what always happens in these cases, right? Like, it goes from zero to 100. He goes from this is the number one headweight in the world to was he ever any good? Which, again, is, like, that's where we need to find middle ground, I guess, right? I mean, you know, Joshua's resume speaks for itself. He's obviously one of the best headweights of this crop, but either something happened on that night or that style matchup just was not not a good fit. Now, the rematch will tell that story, but I don't know, man, it was... It was a weird thing. I'm hesitant to kind of go, um, like, if you ask me right now who do I think is going to take the rematch, it's like, I want to say Ruiz, but a week ago, or no, I guess two weeks ago now, I would have never picked Ruiz to actually win that fight. I would have said he'd win some rounds. So it's interesting. You don't want to get swayed too heavily by one night, but the, the fight spoke for itself, right? I think everyone's shocked for the most part, but... As is always the case with big fights, the fallout
3: can you know it creates a lot of talk that sometimes goes a little
1: far. I'd, I'd say, to be honest with you, man. Yeah, I, I'm. You know what? I'm kind of with you on the whole rematch because I'm. I really want to say, you know, Andrew Reed because of the way he dominated Joshua. But I'm. I'm looking at that first fight, and I'm just thinking <clears throat> to myself, you know. The reason why I picked Joshua to win was because... Not that I think Andrew Ruiz is no good. I always said, you know, he was always pretty good. And I even said when when it was announced that Andrew Ruiz was going to be the replacement opponent for Anthony Joshua, I said, like, hell, Andrew Ruiz is just as deserving, if not more deserving, of a title shot than any of the other guys that were being mentioned as potential replacements, and even Jarrell Miller. And I thought, you know... And I thought Ruiz... Not that he didn't stand a chance, but I thought you look at both guys' styles and you look at them physically, I thought to myself, the, the game plan is couldn't be any simpler for Anthony Joshua. Just stand behind the jab, use your reach, and not allow him to get close and don't trade with him on the inside in the middle of the ring. And Joshua didn't do any of that. And I thought to myself, I don't understand how it couldn't have, how you know, what happened. I thought, you know, there's a very easy way to beat Indy Ruiz. If you're Anthony Joshua, just because of the physiques and Joshua being so much taller and so much longer, but it just didn't happen. So now I'm curious is Joshua gonna, you know, actually start doing that in the rematch or are we gonna see the same thing? Well, I think the the really interesting
2: thing is, is, and we've all seen this a million times, if you look at a lot of Joshua's stoppages, right, like there's a handful of guys he's knocked out cold, but a lot of the time he'll hurt a guy. And he'll, like, just overwhelm them with pure power, speed, combinations, referee jumps in, stops the fight, right? With Ruiz, he did... That was exactly what his intention was. The difference is Ruiz wasn't going to give ground up. He wanted Joshua in front of him, right? So that's kind of... That's the one stylistic thing I thought stood out. Like, when he charged Ruiz, Ruiz wasn't going to just give up ground and wait to get stopped. He was actually waiting to counter, and that's when the fight swung completely. So, I don't know. I mean, I agree with you, right? I like, think the rematch... You're gonna see Joshua Fight I assume you're gonna see Joshua Fight a super cautious fight behind his jab and just win rounds and not even concern himself with trying to like put on a show or any of that stuff. But um I mean Ruiz is gonna have stuff to say about that. I mean his hand speed is legit, like that's that's always been the case, but it really showed in Joshua Fight. Right? Like it was obvious. Every time they traded punches, he was getting off first. So I don't know, it's gonna be a big fight, man. That's gonna be I know that's not our topic
1: this week, but that's that's gonna be a big event. Yeah, it really will be. I mean, wherever it's going to take place, whether it's going to be Principality Stadium, Wembley, Madison Square Garden, again, it's going to be a really big fight. And another big fight, I mean, depending on who you ask, this weekend, Tyson Fury versus Tom Schwartz for, I guess, the lineal heavyweight title. I mean, technically it is for the lineal heavyweight title because Tyson Fury is still technically the title holder, even though some people might argue that this is not the same lineal title as everyone else in history has previously (laughs) held it but that's neither here nor there it's obviously you know the game plan for Tyson Fury in terms of this deal with top rank and ESPN is obviously building up to the Deontay Wilder fight and you know that's essentially confirmed because Wilder said that the contracts are now signed so now what's going to be interesting is seeing What's the, how Fury gonna approach this fight? Is he gonna be willing to trade with Tom Schwartz, who is a very strong puncher, despite the competition not exactly being up to snuff with some of the other heavyweight contenders? But or is Fury gonna you know play it a little more smart and just gonna act a little more you know maybe not you know not take the fight seriously, but act somewhat similar to the two fights that he had with um. I'm trying to remember, um, Francesco Pianeta, uh, the, yeah. The, Siffer, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, two fights, uh, I think it was, um, I, I'm completely blanking out on, on the first guy that he faced in his comeback fight, but he has not been, but that guy, you know, didn't even come to fight, I, I still think that that fight was a complete sham, and in a way, <laughs> yeah. so was the second one,
2: yeah, yeah, I think that's the most interesting thing about this fight. To be totally honest, like I'm not. Um, I think people are overstating how bad Tom Schwartz is. I'm not saying he's like incompetent, but I would say that the more interesting element of this fight isn't the result. It's the actual approach Tyson takes. Because I mean, the British fans were frustrated by what he did in them first two comeback fights. And if he treats this fight the same way on ESPN after all the money and with the US audience expecting, like, the guy they got against Wilder, it could be, uh, it could not be good, man. Like, if it's just going to be 10 rounds or 12 rounds, I guess, right? So 12 rounds of him just boxing, dying to jabs, haunting and such. I think he could turn that perception in a negative light. But I don't know. I mean, it's, it's interesting, right? I mean, I don't blame Tyson for wanting to get, just, you know, get another fight under his belt before whatever he next wants to do. But, um...
3: Schwartz isn't the best opponent, but he's also, like, stylistically probably going to make for... He's going to make Fury at least respect him at range, because he's also tall and long, right? I mean, it's not like he's fighting a small guy where he can literally just keep him all night long, taunting on the end of his jab. So hopefully Schwartz keeps him somewhat honest and we get a fire hat it, you know? Yeah,
1: I mean, and, and I do think that Schwartz does have a chance to at least hurt Tyson Fury. I mean, let's be yes. honest. Tyson Fury doesn't have the greatest chin in the world, and I'm not talking about him getting dropped twice by 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 Deontay Wilder, which, let's be honest, if you get dropped by Deontay, Deontay Wilder, that's not because you have a weak chin, it's because you're facing Deontay goddamn Wilder. But he's been floored a number of times in the past throughout his career, so it's not like Tyson Fury has the best chin in the world, and sure is he's only capable of surprising people and at least dropping Tyson Fury, but I, but I just think we're going to see, you know, more of the showman Tyson Fury instead of, you know, the hardened veteran and, you know, very, very composed Tyson Fury that we've seen at times that is able to outbox just about anyone in the heavyweight division. So I do think that's going to, I don't see Tyson really stopping uh, Tom Schwartz, I think we're gonna see we're gonna have you know a fairly wide unanimous decision victory. I think that's my prediction. I don't know about you, yeah. but yeah, you know I just don't see. I don't think that we're gonna see a whole ton of you know training on the inside or fighting in the middle of the ring that we've seen you know in some fights in the past or even at times during the Deontay Wilder fight. So I I I think we're gonna see. Fury kind of be stepping back, avoiding Tom Short's punches. You've got to be doing a little bit like the, um, not rope, a dope, but I guess you could call it that. The, what you know, what he's done in the first two comeback oh, yeah, fights, where yeah. he would just, just stand in the corner, yeah. <laughs> yeah, where he go into the corner yeah. or into the ropes and just try to show off and use his head to sort of to avoid Tom Short's punches. I think we're gonna see that kind of Tyson Fury instead of like 110 percent serious Tyson Fury, because I think Tyson's a smart enough boxer to recognize. If he knows how to frustrate his opponent and knows that he's that he's faster than them, then he's really got nothing to worry about. Yeah. Well, I'm interested. Like, I mean, you probably have a much more educated on, on the actual landscape than myself. But the only short fight I've seen him fall, I've seen a ton of clips and different, but the only type of fight I've seen him fall was the fight with Senagashi, right? Who's fought twice here in Britain. He fought against Takam and then he fought against Shizura. Um... Now, this is either an insult or a compliment to Schwartz, because I legitimately
2: don't know, but in that particular fight, Gashi was far more adventurous with his offense than he was against Shazora or Saka, right? Like, he was actually coming forward on Schwartz, um, and it sort of exposed some leakiness with Schwartz's defense. But then again, like, Schwartz is a long guy, and often, Tyson knows this himself, smaller guys that are coming forward can be, like, a problem. Like, Tyson struggled with Steve Cunningham because he said he couldn't pin him down. Now, obviously kind of far better operator than Senegashi, but I don't think people should get too caught up in him struggling with Gashi because it's a totally different style of match up to Fury, right? Like, if this is going to be a jabbing match, maybe Swartz can surprise some people, man. I don't know. Where do you think he stands in the whole heavyweight landscape? Is he a legitimate rank guy, or is he outside of that,
1: you know? Yeah, I mean, look, you look at the heavyweight rankings, and and it's funny, because Bob Arum, in a recent conference call that I was in, he was basically saying, listen, I didn't know who Tom Shorts was. I just looked at the heavyweight rankings and thought, wow, those guys actually pretty ranked high up, you know, maybe he could be something, and, and it's funny, like because again, rankings, organizational rankings don't mean a whole lot, they're not a real great indication of who exactly is the best boxer out there, I mean, let's be honest, you look at the, I'm, I'm right now looking at the organizational rankings, and Trevor Bryan is the WBA's number one Ranked heavyweight. And Fresno Kendo yeah. is ranked number three. You're telling me that's those that's two guys are better three. than Jillian White? No. No way. No way in hell. Yeah. Uh, uh,
2: yeah. There's no read on it, right? Like, there's, there's so few common opponents of heavyweight. I think that's one of the main problems of it. Like, so, for example, like, um, and this is just jumping around, but just for the sake, we're talking about heavyweight division, right? So, we look at, you look at Rivas, who's fighting white, okay? Now, I would say, and I'm not sure what he says, but I think he's a pretty dangerous guy from what I've seen. I mean, he's. I mean, beating Jennings to me is impressive. Stopping him is impressive. So I, I look at that as a good win. But then at the same time, I look at Brian Jennings and I think, but how many of the other top guys could beat him? And probably a lot of them could. And that's not disrespecting him, but like, because there's so little, um, like, consistency with the matchups, and guys are just looking to pick up wins until they get their title shot. It's complete chaos as to who the best guys are outside of the top pack, you know.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, like, if you look at, like, you look at the Heavyweight Division, and there's obviously the, fo- the the top five, it's Joshua Ruiz, Wilder, Dillian White, Tyson Fury, and you can add th- uh, Dill- um, Luis Ortiz, so top six, <laughs> after those six, it's, the, the, the list kind of falls off. It's, you can literally put anyone there, and it kind of doesn't matter because those top six, those are your top guys, and then after that, that's where you kind of clearly divide the line as to who are the elite heavyweights and who are the rest. I mean, you got, for example, I'm looking at the rankings, um, Kubra Pulev at number one by the IBF, Adam Kanaki at number four by the IBF, Tom Schwartz is number two in the WBO, and number nine in the IBF. So, that, you know, obviously, you if you're, for example, like a Bob Arrow who don't know who the hell Tom Schwartz is, you look at the rankings and think, wow, this guy must be really, really good, even though he hasn't really faced anybody tough, and he's not exactly one of those guys where you look at the tape and think, this is a must-see heavyweight prospect, kind of like Philip Hergovich, who may not be as highly ranked, but a lot of people know that he's yeah, capable yeah, of eventually crashing that division. You don't really see that in Tom Schwartz. And again, no disrespect to Tom Shorts. but there's but when you look at him, you can kind of tell there there's a level that he can reach. But there are levels above that that he do, that doesn't look like he can't reach.
2: It's interesting. I mean, that's I agree with you totally about that six. You would probably say. Um, even though inactivity maybe is pulling down, you say Pavetkin and Kulev are pretty established as like the next guys in that pack. You would probably say right, yeah, and
3: probably probably Joseph Parker. That's probably your. I would say guys, that I'm pretty assured are like of a level of a certain standard. You know, because Parker, I thought he was disappointed against Joshua, but Parker had a really tough fight with White, which was back and forth. And yeah, like, I love breeze, that fight. Very, very close fight. Yeah, same myself, but.
2: The Maurice Parker fight was very close, but just the fact that if you watch the fight, you can see Joe Parker's on that level. So I'd say them, that's like nine, right? Them nine guys, we know are a certain standard. The rest, to me, to be totally honest, are like, I, they could all get blown out at any point, and I'm no, I'm not surprised, you know?
1: Yeah, I'm, yeah, I mean, listen, if Tom Schwartz is able to crack the heavyweight division just like Ruiz did, then, then, you know, listen, then I'm willing to believe literally just about anybody in the heavyweight division has any chance. You know what? I'll believe Adam Kanaki. If he ever gets a chance at a title against Deontay Willow, I, bl- I think Adam Kanaki could stand a chance, even though I think Kanaki would have, you know... Beforehand, I think Kanaki would not have stand a real good chance against any of the top guys, even though for some reason, he was promised or at least reportedly promised a shot at Deontay Wilder in the future, and now it's looking like that's not going to happen. Um, it's yeah. really, really weird. Uh, so, you
2: know, so for, on Wilder's end, it looks like it's going to be Ortiz rematch Fury rematch, or is that, is that timeline not clear yet?
1: That, that appears to be the timeline that De- Deontay Wilder himself has said, I'm, um, you know, he yeah, basically he said, I'm going to get through all my controversial fights, starting out with Lisa Ortiz, even though there was no real controversy in that first fight. I can understand why some people, there was actually someone that pointed out to me, well, in the round that af- after... Wilder got real hurt by Luis Ortiz. He got he was given like extra time to Soto of rest inexplicably because there was no reason that he was given an extra twenty seconds. But even then, I thought uh, you know I, and I actually recently re-watched that run to sorta maybe see if there was any real controversy. But like he was only it wasn't like he was given an extra minute and Wilder was still hurt and Ortiz was still punching away. I just thought well, you know, Ortiz just didn't stop Wilder and Wilder stopped. Ortiz, so I don't think there was real much yeah, controversy, I mean, stuff, stuff and, and it's not like social media was saying, oh man, it, it, you know, that extra 20 seconds was be- it wasn't it was being given, I did not think a single person was talking about that <laughs> moment after the fight was I, over.
2: I also think the other problem with that fight, I'm not, I'm not against that fight, like, I think it would be good, especially because, you know, like, Ortiz is, Ortiz did cause him trouble, so I'm not, like, against it, but... It also doesn't help that since that fight, Ortiz's fights have been super like, uninspired and kind of uninteresting. It makes it worse, you know? Like, if he'd have knocked some guys out and around that we sort of know are capable, it would be a more interesting rematch. But instead, from when I've seen Ortiz since, he's kind of sleepwalked through fights and kind of like, he doesn't look. I don't know, man. I fear that that fight probably took a lot out of him. Yeah, you know, He's age and at this point in his career, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, he's getting much older, and I, I agree with you. I, you know, obviously he looked good against Razvan Kohanu, but then afterwards, yeah. he it was a he had a really long, drawn out fight against Travis Kaufman last December, and then in March he, he had a, another really long, drawn out fight against Christian Hammer. And I'm not doubting Ortiz's power; he still has it, but you can tell in the last two fights he's got he is noticeably slower than he was before the first Deontay Wilder fight. And I think Wilder recognizes that Luis Ortiz is the guy that's probably been the closest to have ever truly beaten Deontay Wilder in the center of the ring, you know, not going to the judges. And and, and I think, listen... Ortiz is slower. I'm still in the prime of my career. A lot of people watch that fight, and a lot of people really love that fight. I might as well get a big payday before we get to the Tyson Fury fight, while Tyson Fury has this, you know, whatever you want to call them, tune-up fights, warm-up fights, return fights uh, in, throughout the rest of the year. So I, I think Wilder's going to have a slightly easier time against Ortiz in the rematch, maybe because Ortiz is slower, he's older, Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Tyson Fury, it's funny because I'm I'm still trying to look at Tyson Fury at where he stands right now. And I kind of, I'm still trying to decide whether or not this version of Tyson Fury is on the same level, greater than, less than the Tyson Fury we saw when he beat Vladimir Klitschko back in 2015. It's very, very weird to sort of try to figure out. Where, if this is the best Titan Fury that we're seeing. Obviously, I guess if you ask Titan Fury, he'll say, I'm always at my absolute best because some Titan Fury got there.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, look, it's still to be seen, right? I mean, because the thing is, and I think the Joshua Reese fight has proven this, because we're so caught up in, like, who is the best, we forget the oldest cliche in boxing that's the, the oldest cliche, and it's the Styles Make Fights thing, right? Like, it's the truth. So, I felt Fury beat Wilder. Okay, so let's just say that the judges agreed with my take and he's the champ. That doesn't mean that he's going to then be champ for five years without ever losing a round, right? Like, it's all styles and if he does beat Wilder in a rematch, that doesn't mean he's going to beat everyone. It literally just means that maybe the Wilder matchup can work for him because he can see them long punches coming. That doesn't tell us about whether he's as good as he was in 2015, right? Like, he could still struggle with the Ruiz. I don't think he would. But I didn't think Joshua would really struggle that much. <laughs> so, it was, time will tell. If he fights consistently against ranked guys, we'll see how great he truly is. Or whether it's just, you know, he was great on those particular nights. In time. We'll see. It. Time will tell.
1: Who do you have winning in this fight between Fury and Tom Schwartz?
2: Yeah, I'm, I, totally, I think Fury's going to win the majority of the rounds by like a wide distance. And I think it'll be be totally be a great spectacle. Uh, I think it's kind of nuts. So, so this it's on ESPN general on national television.
1: It's going to be on ESPN plus, so it's the oh. streaming service that they got so okay. it's, it's very weird so so the main card, which is only two fights, is going to be on ESPN plus, but the this is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes Thundercard, it's gonna be not on ESPN, but the secondary ESPN channel, which is ESPN Two. It's it's very very weird. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know what uh, they've got going on. I think maybe they have college baseball, uh, up on the main ESPN channel. I really have no idea because I have no check.
2: I mean, this is the thing. Perception-wise, I can tell you, in the last year, Fury has definitely, from where I can see anyway, he has taken over as Britain's like. He's Britain's heavyweight, in my view. And a couple of weeks ago, to Joshua like kind of confirmed that. Not from a ticket-selling point of view, far from it. But from a kind of... Um, people kind of see him as like a... He's one of our guys, and he's this sort of hero. He fought back from struggles. and You know what I'm saying? Like he has that kind of... That, uh, that perception. But I do legitimately think that if people spend money on this one Saturday, because it's on pay-per-view for us, and wait up until four in the morning to see him, to haunt him for 12 rounds... I think the perception could backfire a little bit, you know. I think you can lose a lot of goodwill. I mean, this feels like a risky pay-per-view event for folks over here. Like the fight's probably gonna be on at like, four in the morning our time, somewhere around there, maybe a bit
1: later, so yeah that's, yeah. that's kind of the most interesting part to me to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean well, I you know what, I don't think that is you're gonna lose that much goodwill because let's be honest, Titan Fury is you know, is so charismatic and he's really a guy that like if you just spend 5 minutes you just can't help but smile or laugh at some of the things he says. So I think it's going to be fine. It was weird. I I funny enough I I watched a very recent interview he did um on Good Morning Britain and he was wearing nothing but a robe and he like, was very weird. I'm like, "Oh boy, I'm like Oh, it was so I don't want to say uncomfortable, but it was... Well, I can tell from the female co hosts they were a little bit uncomfortable at Tyson Fury, looking like he was going to disrobe. and
2: <laughs> <laughs> See, That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Like, so, because Joshua... And this is so far from a Joshua, so I don't mean this is negative in any way, but because Joshua is, like, so, like, on point with his um, interviews and his media stuff... British people, I feel like, kind of feel like Tyson's more their guy, you know, he does this kind of off-the-wall stuff, and he's kind of unpredictable, so it kind of makes him a hero, but yeah, I agree with you, man, he could have the worst fight ever on Saturday, and if the interview is good afterwards, people are going to be like, okay, cool, when's the, when's the Wilder rematch on, you know, that's the way it is.
1: Yeah, it also, th- it also helps the fact that that entire family is... Very crazy but in know, in a kind of a lovable kind of way for I mean, how, Fury, yeah, isn't 100%. Fury's brother on Love Island? I think it was his brother or cousin yeah. on Love Island.
2: Yeah, there's family's always there's always something going on and then like Peter Fury is such a great interview. Like he's just so straight laced compared to the other guys. I know that him and Tyson are not in the same like camp and stuff anymore, but they're just uh, they're a fascinating group of characters, and they really are. They're an amazing group of characters. <laughs>
1: So, moving on from one British star to another in Josh Warrington, uh, he's fighting, He's defending his IBF featherweight title against Kid Galahad. And, you know, I, I think this is a really interesting fight, at least on a personal level. I think those, there's a lot of animosity, and I really love that. And I'm really curious to see Josh Warrington. You know, in this first fight after beating Lee Selby and after beating Carl Frampton, which it's about as good a two-fight win streak as you can possibly have at featherweight. And you know, I'm this is a weird. I don't want to say it's a weird fight, but I'm really curious to seeing how Kid Galahad goes up against a a guy like Josh Warrington. You know, it's I think it's going to be a very technical fight. Warrington, I mean, not Warrington, Kid Galahad, he didn't impress me all that too much when he fought in Boston last year against Toka Khan-Karri, but I can see why he's a guy to watch out for. I just don't see Kid Galahad doing as much as Carl Frampton did, and Carl Frampton, bless his heart, he really tried. He really brought the fight to Josh Warrington, and that wasn't enough Mm -hmm. to beat him.
2: Yeah, I think... You, for a moment there, touched on, you said, this is a weird fight, and you stopped yourself because it seems kind of unfair, but I think, I agree with that, right, like, it's a strange fight, I think, the reason it's strange is because when you've beaten two guys consecutively like Warren just has, you touched on there, it feels like, okay, now it's time to really make some money, right, like, now it's time to break out and be, like, a star, and I don't think there's a worse stylistic mashup when you're trying to become a superstar than Kid Galahad because he is not particularly impressive. He's not super flashy, but he's super, he's incredibly like, awkward and he has a certain smooth and slickness that makes it tough for guys to get a rhythm against him. Do you know what I'm saying? Like so. Yeah. I, I think it's so to about the Boston fight right now.
1: Uh, now, unless my memory's, got, like, wrong about that, he won that fight by, like, a round or two. It wasn't, like, a, a landslide. No, really it was like It me. was not a, it was, it was not wide, um, yeah, uh, the, like, it was, actually, no, it was, but it, actually, no, it was somewhat, on one judge, it was by one round, the other was fairly wide, so the scores were 118-110 okay. on two of the three scorecards, and the other was 115-113, although that fact did kind of felt a little more like the 115-113 yeah, scorecard. yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, what I was going to say was, I, I think it's um, that was a good that fight kind of sums up what he is in the sense of he's not a guy who's going to go out there and dominate a fight and you say, "Wow, that was incredible." But he has a way of offsetting guys enough and taking rounds from and taking them out of their rhythm and figuring out ways to steal rounds, take moments of the fight. And I like I think Warren is the clear favourite in this fight because of his resume and because of what he's done. But. I would not be shocked at all if this is a super close fight. Do you know what I'm saying? It just wouldn't surprise me, stylistically speaking, if Galahad's able to just take Warrenton's best. I mean, to me, when I think Warrenton was his best at, I think his energy, his work rate, and just his persistence in attack, right? Like, he'll overwhelm guys. Lee Selby is so skillful, and and just kind of overwhelmed him with pure offensive output. So I think you're going to see that here, but I also think. Galahad's going to be able to make him fight more at his pace. So it's an interesting fight. It's not a big fight by any means, even though there's a little bit of like uh, conflict. It's not like a fight that's captured the public, but... Um, I like the fight. I agree with you, it's a weird flat <laughs> but I
3: like it
1: nonetheless. Yeah, and listen, and we're not kinda of disparaging Kid Galahad. I mean you look at the no, names no. on his resume, it's not bad. He's being Jasa Dickens, he's being Edson Dos Santos, he's being Tokokan Clary. It's you know, <clears throat> the, the list isn't bad, it's not, you know, you know, extraordinary, but it's not nothing bad and and, and to be honest, I think the intrigue in this fight it, it has more to do with Man, the constant back and forth and the trash talk between the two. I mean, Kid Galahad calling out Carl Frampton. And he's just calling out everyone. I, I just don't think that, you know, I think the, the intrigue is in the build-up. But I think it is, I think this is going to be stylistically an awkward matchup for Josh Warrington. Exactly. But it's not something yeah. that he hasn't seen before.
2: I agree. I've, I think when you fought, let's be honest, when you fought 12 rounds with Lee Selby, I think you got a pretty good understanding of awkward style
3: matchups.
2: <laughs> um... <laughs> And, and I love so that's not a diss, it's just that he's an awkward guy, right? Like, it's the same kind of thing, but... I don't know, I mean, it was an interesting moment with the... From, I don't know how much of the promotion you've seen of this fight, but, like, obviously, Josh Warren the home fighter on BT Sport, okay, so... Mm. I mean, they have totally just vilified Kit Galahad for the drug test failure back in... a couple of years back, and... You it's, it's just strange, man, you know, like, BT Sport's biggest two stars is Billy Joe Saunders and Tyson Fury, and they're just hammering (laughs) over like positive and I I understand circumstances different in all drug tests right but it seems like a slippery slope to promote fights that way you know what I'm saying like it's strange I mean Warrington's constantly talking about the drug test and it's almost like there's no talk about the actual fight that's going to take place the actual mashup itself is forgotten about no one cares so Galahad's been waiting for this moment for a long time like you said it then he's been calling everyone He about three years ago even Maybe somewhere, somewhere, around there. Um, you know when Warren, uh, not Warren, but and Quigg were fighting each other, and that was like the big British fight. At that time, Kid Galahad felt he was like the forgotten man. He felt he was being just left out of the side because no one wanted to fight him. And in, to some extent, he might have been right. And now, 30 years later, the drug, everything has happened. He now has a chance to establish himself with one fight. With one win here, he changes
1: everything, right? So it's a big moment for him. Right? we'll see if he can maximise it gun to your head, who do you have winning and why? I personally got Josh Warrington winning a fairly a fairly wide unanimous decision. Let us be honest, Josh Warrington is not the strongest puncher in the world by any stretch of the imagination, but I think it will be a dominating somewhat dominating unanimous decision. I say Warrington wins 117 to 111. I've
2: got the same result as you I think I see it playing out a little closer. Um, I think Galahad's going to cause some super awkward moments. I think he's going to steal some rounds, uh, but I think when the fight finishes, there will be a consensus that Warrington's won it, seven to five, you know, eight to four maybe. But just purely off of, I think his work rate will be too much. I think mean, it won't be a fight that ends and you say, "Wow, Josh really stole it, really took that fight." But I think it'll be one where in truth he won the majority of them rounds, off just pure energy because so I don't think Galahad able to get match that but I think he'll be able to take some rounds definitely I mean it's an interesting situation they've got themselves in so um, that fight is not on pay-per-view but the Fury fight is so you would kind of think they would have done it as like a, a double kind of package thing right but yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately for Frank Warren he's almost already committed to the fact that this isn't a pay-per-view fight so he's kind of stuck in that sense so this is where they're at yeah, it's gonna be
1: interesting how they promote the both of you. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised, and I'm gonna be watching. I'm I'm gonna be paying attention to that. And I'm and the way ESPN Plus uh, has it, they essentially just give us the BT Sport feed. So right. what? So I'm probably gonna be seeing a lot of talk about the Tyson Fury fight later on tonight. <laughs> it almost kind of feels like this isn't its own card, more like like a, an undercard for the Tyson Fury fight.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I was shocked when. I mean, I shouldn't be shocked, really, but like when Frank Warren said he was going to, to Vegas, for the period, I was kind of like, man, that feels like an interesting move, you know? Because like, obviously it makes sense. That's his guy, right? Tyson's. It's a big fight for him. He can't lose to Tom Schwartz. But at the same time, if you really look at the landscape of his roster, Josh Warren and defending the top of world title against a British fighter. On the British Time is a big deal. It should be at least, but it doesn't seem like they want it to be,
3: I guess. So here we are. I guess it's just going to happen and no one's going to talk about it. But we're talking about it at least, so uh,
1: we've covered our part of it anyway. Carlos, it's all good. Yeah, I mean, boy, it's it's going to be interesting <laughs> to see how it all plays out. Now, lastly, I, I didn't do a podcast, like a post show after the Gennady Golovkin fight, so I guess this will serve, this uh, remainder of the podcast will serve as the Gennady Golovkin Steve Rolls uh, post show one week after the fact whoopsies but the I mean this fight essentially came out as what a lot of people expected Gennady Golovkin knocks out Steve Rolls I correctly predicted round, like two minutes before the fight actually started I'm patting myself on the back because I don't usually get results and the round that it ends correctly so I'm patting myself on the back on that one but yeah I'm looking at this fight and I thought to myself Alright, Golovkin won, he won by knockout, but there was nothing about this fight that really taught me anything that I haven't already known, aside from Golovkin is finally now going back to the body, which he should have done in the Canelo Alvarez rematch, and now it looks like we're gonna get Canelo-Golovkin 3 in September 14, unless something drastic changes, That I just don't see how that the trilogy fight isn't happening next.
2: I always find them like, these fights always amaze me, because we all do this, like, Jedi mind trick thing, where the fight gets announced, right, and we all say, okay, it's us just tune up for Golovkin, and then the fight gets closer and closer, and then on fight week, you're like, oh, Golovkin's fine on Saturday, and even though you know it's just a tune-up fight, you kind of convince yourself something interesting's gonna happen, right, then the fight starts, and, like, it followed, if we were to script what we thought would happen, it was so on point. Like, oh, Golfkin's going to hit a little bit early, he doesn't look super sharp, and then all of a sudden, bang, you know, on his face, knock knockout winner, we move on with our lives. And no one even, like, you're so right what you said there. You like, to talking about the Golfkin and I was just like, oh, yeah, that happened, yeah, cool. So, it is what it is, right? To cheat up fire. fight, is that for pretending it was going to be anything more? It was fun, Golovkin's got an awesome knockout That's what he was there to do So yeah, I've I've not got a ton to say about Other than, we've had what, 24 rounds now Of Canelo Golovkin And they've all been pretty awesome So I'm looking forward to another 12 I think we're going to get another 12 as well So yeah, it's going to be fun
1: yeah, I, I like I like that fight. Listen, do would I rather see Canelo face other opposition and just just to see something different? I would love for him to fight Count yeah. Smith or or, or fight it at a Demetrius Andrade. But let's be honest, that's probably not going to happen in September. And I'm not complaining at all about, like, about Canelo Golovkin 3, the first two fights were excellent, and I ex- fully expect the third one to be almost just as good as the other one, and I will be more than happy with that, and Canelo Golovkin 3, you know they're gonna load up that undercard with a lot of really good fights, or and a lot of title fights, so, I mean... That's, that's interesting, I
2: mean, I don't again, it's very hard for me to get a read on, like, you know, the zone situation, um... What I would say, as much as I know, like it blew up in their face, Joshua losing. That show was a pretty amazing watch, right? And I think if they can strive for that kind of a card from top to bottom, with some consistency, do that three times a year on design. I know that was an Eddie show, and this is obviously going to be um, Golden Boy, but that felt unique for boxing to have like five fights that were actually enjoyable. That felt kind of unique. So if they can strive for that, I think that'd be a better route for design than doing a show every single week that's not that good. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Like, there's a balance there, right?
1: Yeah, but, you know, but the way Matchroom Boxing has their contract with the zone, like, they, they're essentially forced to have uh, to load up on as many cards as possible, and they're not all bad. There's usually something good to watch out for. But I kind of look at the um, the May I believe it was May 18 card in Maryland, where it was headlined by Devin Haney, and I kind of I'm looking at the card. And I'm thinking this is not a good card, and and the way this was constructed, it was very poorly. Made. I know it was Alexander Usyk's uh, heavyweight debut that was, you know, that didn't happen. But you had a world title unification on the undercard. It wasn't even part of the main card, and that fight ended up being the best fight of the entire show by far. And I'm still mad at the fact that they have, gr- they had Gregory Corbin in the co-main event, which I think is a complete and utter travesty in the sport of boxing. Like, I don't know how, first of all, how you even get a TV fight, let alone a TV co-main event. It shouldn't, in the, lower, in the year for our Lord 2019, Gregory Corbin on TV should be considered a cardinal sin in boxing. <laughs> it's so, I find it strange. Like, often these shows will pop up and I just don't, I don't
2: understand what they like, who the audience is for them shows. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, just to be honest, man, if, if people like us can't get fired up for these cards. The general person is not subscribing to see them right like I feel like they need to take a less is more approach until the talent pool is good enough but as you say the contract is what it is they're going to just keep doing shows so that's the way it is I guess
1: yeah, but hey, I mean it is it, what it is, and I think Gennaro Golovkin three is gonna be really good. I thought that you know Golovkin with the new trainer, I, I'm seeing a lot a Golovkin that's like happier or at least more lively than he was with Abel Sanchez. I mean you can tell that you know with the benefit of hindsight that Gennaro and Abel maybe weren't exactly seeing each other eye to eye. You know, for, you know, just putting aside the reported reasons and they're from Abel's side as to why that partnership that fell through, for whatever it is, but you can tell, you know, there was something amiss between the two, and I think Golovkin, being with Jonathan Banks, who, uh, you know, who a lot of people remember as Vladimir Klitschko's last trainer, also, you know, being a, a pupil of the late, great Emmanuel Stewart, I think all of that's gonna, you know, fare well for Golovkin, because I think Jonathan Banks is a really good trainer, and he is trying to, and and I love Banks' approach of not trying to completely rework Golovkin, but sort of, you know, going, not going back to basics, but sort of resharpening some of Golovkin's already existing tools, which, let's be honest, a 37-year-old Golovkin is still arguably the best middleweight in the world. mm
2: mm-hmm. Yeah, I think interesting, an interesting case, because, when well, I think about so, the trainer speaking, specifically, like two things come to mind. So, I remember a lot of people felt like he wasn't um, he wasn't energetic enough with getting Vladimir to jump on Joshua. Do you remember that was kind of like a, a, a plot line after that fight ended? Do you remember when yeah Vladimir drops Joshua, and people kind of said, and obviously that this is not life and death is way more important than boxing. But people were basically saying. Emmanuel Shewer would never have let Vladimir sleep all through those rounds, right? Which is an interesting kind of plot, subplot of that fight. But what I would say is that's a criticism of him, but I think his temperament is just, like, amazing. I remember when he cornered Dylan White for the Joshua fight. And um, there, I don't know remember, there was, like, a brawl after the one of the rounds in that fight. Like, it all just went chaos. And Jonathan Banks just cornered Dylan White and just defused the whole situation sat a young fighter down and made him calm, and in the next round was when White hurt Joshua. So I think it's impossible for us to talk about how good of a trainer he is, technically, because, frankly, he's too new as a trainer to really read by resume. So it's impossible. But his temperament, I think, is that of a guy who is composed in major situations, which, when you're going into a fight with Canelo, most likely, that's, that helps, right? It's not someone who's going to be flaking under the moment. So that's that's one thing, anyway.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think Golovkin is, you know, I don't want to say he'll stand a better chance of beating Canelo Alvarez, but I think Canelo Alvarez wins the rematch, albeit just a tiny bit more convincingly than in the second fight, but I do think Canelo Alvarez should come yeah. out as the winner, mainly because Can- Golovkin is getting older, and Canelo Alvarez is still in the prime of his career. Yeah, like, I think, you know, the second fight, I thought Canelo Alvarez better than the first fight. I think the
2: first fight was quite better than the second one so I tend to agree. The issue is obviously is I think I don't think he's stopping Golovkin and I think that's the only way the actual perception shifts on that trilogy. Do you see what I'm saying? Like even if this day Canelo wins the fight conclusively on points it's like clear the consensus he won the fight I still think most people are going to be like no, they robbed Golovkin the first two Which I don't even like. The second fight I thought was Razor close so I, I think I've had, I have had Canelo winning the fight So I don't agree with that But it does seem like Every time the fight talks about it, The response is They robbed Golovkin twice So I don't know I don't know what you gain Even at this point But that's what they're doing And it's going to be a money fight Because as you said All Canelo fights I mean the thing is The Callum Smith matchup Is interesting because Callum Smith feels like The worst kind of situation Because he's like Dangerous not known. Whereas at least with Golovkin, man, that they just major. That's just a major fight, right? There's no like profile risk there. Everyone knows how
1: good Golovkin is, so that's why I think they like going back to it. Yeah, yeah I agree. And at the very least with Callum Smith, he's not going to pull a Rocky Fielding and completely ignores his no. size advantage and try to blow a trade up with Canelo on the inside. Which I uh, kind of look at that Rocky Fielding fight and find that Rocky Fielding is doing literally everything that he's not supposed to do against Canelo Alvarez. <laughs>
2: shouldn't
1: have been tried body you saying? Yeah. Yeah. Don't <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're taller? You're longer? Why are you going on the inside against arguably the best body puncher in the sport? Makes no yeah, sense. Yeah, that's,
2: that's fair. That's-
1: Oh, man. I think that about wraps it up for this edition of the Fightful Boxing Podcast. Joe, thanks so much for taking time to talk with me. It's been real fun, as always, talking about Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua, Triple G, the whole nine yards. Where can people reach you on social media, Joe? Joe Holbert5 on Twitter.
2: That so I don't recommend taking, but if you would like to, feel free. <laughs> it's been, it's been cool beyond man. Always have to do It's
1: cool. And I'm here to also give a personal, to personally vouch Joe's work on Fightful, tremendous writer, uh, you know the best features writer we got on the site, and has a very, very, very fun rivalry with one Jeremy Lambert. And now <laughs> the two of you are now doing stuff on FIFO Gaming. Why don't you talk a little bit, a, a little bit about that? Well, um, Jeremy's has made some very bad decisions that unfortunately impact me as well. And the result is that we are reliving uh, the
2: war, the Monday Night Wars, 1995 onward. Uh, we are going to somehow make everything worse for the most iconic period in wrestling history. That's, that's going to be a whole lot of silliness. So if you enjoy that kind of thing, that will be on But It's up now, the first episode's up. So, yeah, that's the thing I do. The speakers, I appreciate the comment man. That's, that's the actual good thing that I provide. <laughs> but mostly,
1: it's just silliness. So, yeah, there'll be a lot of that coming with Jeremy, yeah. All right, and you can find me on Twitter at Carlos Toro 360 as always, we're going to have a new Fightful Boxing Podcast every week from now on until further notice. Everything's going to be audio only, pre-recorded, but it's still going to be up on YouTube. still going to be up on iTunes. still going to be up on Fightful.com. Head on over to Fightful.com for all the latest news in pro wrestling, MMA, and boxing. Carl Storer and Joe Holbert signing out.